This program is brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries. What I want to talk about this morning, the title of it is Restoring God's Wayward Child. Restoring God's Wayward Child. Now, I would think this. I've always thought many of the people that I'm speaking to are Christians. Not everyone, but many of you are true children of God, but you've allowed some things to get a hold of you. You responded the wrong way, and it's holding you down in your mind, and it affects your actions. I understand that, but what I'm saying is, when you have a brother and sister in Christ, and you believe they truly are children of God, but they're walking independently of God, they're following God at a guilty distance, are we to be like the elder brother? The spirit of the elder brother who was not happy when his brother, who was in a far country, living a riotous life, wasting his inheritance, finally came to his senses and went back to the father, but the elder brother was not happy about it. So this is my question to all of us. When we see someone and we think, you know, I do believe they're true children of God, but there is no evidence in their life right now. They're strung out on drugs. They're maybe into alcoholism. They may be into pornography. They may be living a life of thievery. There could be a hundred things we could say. It could be a banker who's very wealthy, but he's stealing from his customers. It could be a hundred people in a hundred different ways. But what I'm saying is this. If they truly are a child of God, now I know everything I just said doesn't sound like a child of God, and many times it's evidence that they're not a child of God. But I do believe, and I believe many of you believe, there can be children of God who are following God at such a guilty distance that when you're with them and you watch them and you listen to them, you say, I'm not even sure they're truly saved. There's no evidence. But they might be, because remember, we can be saved at an early age, really believing that Jesus died one time and for all of my sins, but then wrong friendships, wrong things we watch and listen to, wrong music that tears women down and induces and encourages crime. Those things can transform the mind of a child of God. That is sad, but it does happen. So I think we need to be very quick not to be quick in judging someone who's going through a hard time and bringing problems on their own. They're guilty, but I think we need to love them in spite of it. And remember this, we too might be tempted. We too might go through a season just like they're going through because we still have a sin nature. So we're going to look at all these things as we think of restoring God's wayward child. So I'm trying to do two things here. I'm trying to remind myself, Chris, you too could fall into this. I'm trying to remind all of you, you too could fall into this. And I'm also encouraging some of you who are living this way, independently of God, though long ago you prayed and asked Christ to come into your heart. I'm trying to encourage you to restore your fellowship with God because you can't lose your relationship. I'm trying to encourage you to restore your walk with God. And if you're walking with God, not be too quick to be judgmental on someone else who's not. Having a heart of love saying, 
I want to help you in this. I'm not condoning this, but I want to help you in this. So if you will, take God's Word and turn to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to look at a lot of verses, but primarily verses 1 through 5 of Galatians 6 is what we're going to be looking at. So I want to ask you this question. When someone we know really blows it in their life, they're now living on the streets, they're divorced, their children don't want anything to do with them, how are we to help them God's way? Not our way, God's way. Number one, I want us to think about falling in temptation. You see, we're tempted, and then we choose by an act of our will to do this or not. Don't ever blame your mess on another human being that is ungodly, wicked, and devilish. You have to stand and look in the mirror and say, my wrong response to this is what's caused all my problems. Remember, you haven't been nailed to the cross. Jesus was nailed to the cross. Look how he responded to that horrible death. He responded in love. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. My friend, listen, if you and I would respond the right way when people do us wrong, God will make us more like Christ. But if we respond the wrong way when we have been done wrong, harmed by other people, and we respond the wrong way, we become just like them. We don't want to become like Christ. Failing in temptation. We must remember we still have a sin nature. You say, well, I'm a child of God. I am too, but I can still sin. Thought, word, or deed, I can still sin. Why? Because I have a sinful nature that was inherited from the first man, Adam. We can sin. We will not lose our salvation, but we can sin after salvation. You say, well, show me the text on this. Okay, I will. Listen to Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 25. This is the Apostle Paul talking about himself. The one who wrote most of the New Testament, he is saying this about himself. And when I read this, you're going to say, that is me too. Because I want to tell you, when I read this, I'm saying this is Chris Hodges also. Romans chapter 7, 15 through 25. Paul said this about himself. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Many of you identify with this right now. What I hate, I'm doing. He struggled with this. And he is a child of God used by God to write a lot of the New Testament. He struggled also. He goes on to say in verse 16, If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do that I practice. He's conflicted. If you say that you don't understand this, if you say that, I would say you're probably lying. I think all of us understand this. We know what we should do, we don't do it. We know what we shouldn't do, and we do it. That's what he's saying here about himself. 
Verse 19, for the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And then he says this, Oh, wretched man that I am. Do you ever have a moment in the day where you feel like, wretched man that I am, what am I doing? You ever feel that way? He felt this way. He is and always will be a child of God. My friend, listen. It's not that God doesn't love you. My friend, you may not be loving yourself in a godly way. So he struggled. He says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is your answer. What did he mean when he said, Who shall deliver me from this body of death? What did Paul mean? Listen closely. Long, long ago when he was living, 2,000 years ago, if you were a murderer, one of the ways you would be punished, you would get the death penalty. One of the ways they punished a murderer, they would take the man that you murdered and tie you face to face with him all the way down your body and legs and take you out into the wilderness and stake you down into the ground and you would die and decompose with the one that you murdered. That's what Paul was saying when he said, who shall deliver me from this body of death? It's almost like this turmoil inside. He felt like he was strapped to a decomposing body. And he was admitting, it's me. It's me. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. So, we think about failing in temptation. All of us are tempted. We're thinking about failing in temptation. Our struggle with Satan. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. He says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Do you ever walk through the streets of Memphis, and you see people, and you wonder, does Satan live in them? Is a demon inside of them? Because they walk about looking who they can defy. He says, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Listen, not only are you dealing with this, all of God's children are dealing with this. Each person as an individual has to say, I will not. I will go God's way. I will not go Satan's way. End of story. It's a decision that we all have to make. Our struggle with Satan. But not only that, our struggle with this present world system. Right now, everywhere you look, what is right is wrong, and what is wrong is right. People are totally confused. This is satanic. The author of confusion is Satan, and there is confusion worldwide. Most people believe we're almost at World War III. Money's going to dry up. Our struggle with this world system. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Listen to this. 
Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world, listen to this, the world is passing away. My friend, listen, you're going to either physically die or you're going to watch this world pass away. This is not it. Let me tell you what's going to be forever. A place called heaven and a place called hell. Which one will you be in? Because that is forever. You never grow old in either place. Are you going to heaven or are you going to a place called hell? So he says in 1 John 2, he says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world system that is ruled by Satan. He came in to this world system to save sinners. Listen to what Paul said, of whom I am chief. Paul thought of himself as the chief of sinners. So you may think, I'm hopeless. I'm too far gone. My friend, listen, no, you're not. Until you breathe your last breath, you're not too far gone. And you can't stop God from loving you. Time is now. Paul said he was the chief of sinners. He was humbled by the thought of that. He was admitting that he sinned and that he was not perfect. I'm not perfect. None of you are perfect. There's no one except Jesus who walked across this earth that was perfect. Jesus was the only one perfect. And he became our sin, died on the cross paying the price for it. So, failing in temptation. Now, what are the reasons we fail in temptation? What are the reasons? We've talked about some, but if you say, I am a child of God, and I'm being tempted, and like Paul, I feel the same thing he felt in Romans 7. I know what to do, but I do not do it. What's going on with me? What are the reasons we fail in temptation? Well, we're careless with sin in the Christian life. We're just simply careless with it. James chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. Do you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. My friend, listen, as a child of God, when you become careless about sin, you will become careless about your friendships. Your friendships, if they're worldly and without Christ, they will pull you down, though you are a Christian. You are allowing them to pull you down by telling God no and telling Satan and this person yes. And so you're pulled down. And the Bible says you're making yourself an enemy of God instead of a child of God and a friend of God. So we become careless with sin. That leads to careless friendships. They pull you down. We become careless with the Word of God. Let me ask you, when's the last time by yourself you spent time reading God's Word, listening to His Holy Spirit, telling Him yes and telling yourself no over and over again? When was the last time? Are you careless and you're simply just not interested in the Word of God and you may only be here to get something to eat 
And then you're going to go out of here and you're going to continue carelessness. You can never blame anybody on what you'll do next. You choose to do everything you do one at a time. It is no one else's fault. It is you. And my friend, listen, you either turn to Christ and walk with him or you'll be pulled down by this broken world system that's controlled by Satan and his demons. Don't do it. Don't be careless with your friendships. Don't be careless with the Word of God. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I'm God. Have you ever seen someone walking down the street and they were just talking to themselves and they never stopped? On and on and on. Talking, jabbering, talking, jabbering. You can't talk to them because they keep talking. This is a person that's trying to cope with what they think and what they feel. And as long as they keep jabbering and jabbering and jabbering, it's like they never really hear God saying, I love you, turn and walk with me. They just keep on and on and on. Their coping is what they're doing. So, careless with the Word of God. Wisdom is to open God's Word and be still and listen. Let Him talk to you more than you talk to Him. Listen to Him. He'll guide you. Another reason we fail in temptation is simply ignorance. We're just simply ignorant of the nature of sin and how Satan operates. In other words, we don't even understand why am I being pulled this direction and that. We're not even aware that Satan is causing chaos on purpose. Not even aware of it, just ignorant of it. Another reason we fail in temptation is simply we're deceived by who we listened to when we were young. What we saw them do, we became like them and we simply were deceived. And we're deceived by Satan, which I've already mentioned. Another thing is simply pride. Just too proud to say, I am wrong. I caused the problem on me. No one else did. My wrong response to people who hurt me, I am my own worst enemy. But we're too prideful to say it and get over it. Too prideful. Weariness is another reason. We drop our guard in our emotions. We're simply burned out. And we just get tired and we say, Fooey, I'm not going to follow God. I'm going to do whatever I can do to get some relief. And then sometimes it is a true satanic attack. Moments and sometimes a season of time that Satan is attacking you. Also pressure, continuous pressure from some direction. We enter into a particular sin for temporary release. So you go get some fentanyl, you go get some alcohol, you go get something to give you temporary release of some pressure that you feel you're going about it the wrong way. Let the Holy Spirit ease the pressure you feel. He never wears off. But anything you take created by man will wear off and you'll have to have more. And that's how they get your money. And so, pressure. All of us are vulnerable to constant pressure. Any of us can fail in this at any moment. So, what if you know someone or what if you are the person who is a true child of God, but you're not relying on Him anymore? And more and more, you're becoming like Satan instead of becoming like Christ. What do you do when you realize, what have I done? What the years that I've wasted, what can I do? Or if God is prompting you to help someone and you say, I know they are a child of God, 
but they're walking independently of God. I'm not going to judge them because in a moment I could be tempted and fail and be right where they are. So what I'm going to do is ask God, God, what are you doing in their life and how can I help? All right. How to restore God's wayward child. How? How do you do this? We have a responsibility to restore our brothers and sisters in Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Remember, just in a blink of an eye, you may fall the same way they're falling. Do not become prideful. So sometimes we become self-righteous and judgmental, and we say, I tell you what, Whenever they fall flat enough times, they'll finally get up and change. We get mad. Instead of being sad, we get mad. Start working to restore them immediately. If you're a child of God and you say, he is going down the wrong path and he's going quickly, ask God to work through you to restore them immediately. What does the word restore mean? It's used in the Greek for a physician who would reset the bone of a broken limb. It's like Somebody having a broken arm, and it's like God's telling you to go set that arm. Or spiritually speaking, someone has a broken life, and God is prompting you to go and help mend their life. Notice he said in Galatians 6.1, he said, those of you who are spiritual, that is, those who walk in the Spirit. You say, well, how do you know those that are walking in the Spirit? They're compassionate. They're caring, they're loving, they're forgiving, they're not judging. You see the fruit of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit in them. If we are assuming the responsibility to restore them, this is how we do it. We lead them to recognize their failure. Now, I know you have many speakers who come down here. I know that. But my prayer is this. When they get on the subject of saying how there needs to be change, instead of seeing it as being judged, say, okay, I'm going to change, all right? So if you want to encourage someone who's on the wrong path, you do have to lead them in recognizing their failure. Not judgmental, not putting them down, but you've got to understand what's wrong before you can go to the next step. So lead them to recognize their failure, the nature of it. And their failure and the nature of it is simply sin, walking independently of God. Another thing is this. Lead them to acknowledge responsibility for their sin. In other words, that's why you hear me say here often, you're not a victim. I say often, you're a product of your own decision making. Nobody makes your decisions. You make them. Whether they're right or wrong, you decide for yourself. And if you make wrong decisions, even when wrong's been done to you, you respond the wrong way. You actually make things worse for you and other people. So recognize, get them to recognize their failure Get them to acknowledge responsibility for their sin. It's a personal thing. It does not matter that others were involved. Keep things clear. They are responsible to deal with this personally. Another thing is this. Lead them into confession and repentance. In other words, confession is simply this. I agree with you, God, against myself that I am walking on the wrong path. I'm choosing by the Holy Spirit in me which is my power, to repent from this path and begin to walk on your path. Confession, 
agreeing with God against yourself, repentance, turning from the wrong path, getting on the right path, and do this by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, not alcohol in you, not fentanyl, not something else. The Holy Spirit in you empowers you to turn from this way to that way and walk with God. That's what confession and repentance is all about. So, when someone genuinely repents, it affects their mind, it affects their emotions, and it affects what they do next. It's just the way it is. When there's genuine repentance, there should be a noticeable change in the way they are when it is genuine. So here's the question. Would people say they're noticing change in you right now? Or would you say, no, they're not? My friend, I love you, so listen, you need to confess, agree with God against yourself, and repent by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Get off this path, get on that path. It is your choice, and you'll never be able to blame anybody if you don't do it. It simply is your choice. And then, when we think of how to restore God's wayward child, what about retribution? What if what you've done has caused someone to lose money, or someone to lose an automobile, someone to lose a house, or someone to lose something because of what you've done, what you've said. Well, the Bible teaches retribution. We need to pay back the loss others incurred because of our sin. You say, well, that's not fair. Well, think about it. It's not fair that you cause them financial hardship because of the way you were and what you did or what you said. So, you need to pay them back. You say, well, what if it has nothing to do with money, but what they said hurt the reputation of someone else? Well, that's a form of murder. Not physical murder, but murder of character when you simply hated someone, so you lied about them to make other people think they were bad people, and deep down inside you knew they're not bad people. I just hate them. That, my friend, there's only one way to deal with that. You have to go to them and ask the people that you've told lies about against this person. You have to go in front of that person and tell the people, I lied about this man or this woman. They're not bad. I'm actually the one that's bad. And I blamed it on them and I lied. And I want to ask you to forgive me. That's what you need to do. It's called retribution. Another thing is this. Receive the message God is sending them because of their failure. In other words, when they feel like, what's happened to me? My whole life has collapsed. In love, show them that their independent walk from God is what's causing the collapse. Receive the message God is sending them because of their failure. Lead them to find out what God is showing them. So you have to say, what is God showing you in all these things? And when they begin to blame individuals and blame people, stop them and say, I love you. I'm not asking you that. I'm asking you, what is God showing you in the calamity that you're in? What is God saying to you? Keep their focus higher than the lower things. And then respond to chastisement with gratitude. In other words, God loves us, but he does discipline us, and he doesn't do it with a belt. He does it in love. His discipline, it's like I tell young people, why in the world would you go to a dentist and have them put braces on your teeth because it makes your mouth so sore? Don't do it. They say, no, I want to do it. 
I said, it's too expensive. I said, why do you want to spend that kind of money and have a sore mouth? And they say, because I want my teeth to be straight. So in other words, the dentist makes your mouth sore. He takes your money so that your teeth can be straight. People spend a lot of money, go through a lot of pain because they want their teeth to be straight. Listen, God loves you and he will chastise you, which simply is child training. And it makes you sore, but it makes you straight all at the same time. And God loves you. He's not beating you up. He's gradually letting you come to the end of yourself so that His Holy Spirit and His Word begins to straighten you back out and you become like Christ. Beautiful in Christ Jesus. And so we need to respond to chastisement with gratitude. And I tell you, the greatest example of that is probably David. You know, the people loved David. And then David got so used to money, fame, love from the people that he became complacent. That's when David entered into sin and we watched his whole life go down. But you know what he did? He confessed it, he repented of it, and he actually, in gratitude, thanked God for the hard times because it kept him from going deeper into his sin. You see this in Psalm 119, verses 67 and 71, and also 75. You can look that up later. Psalm 119, 67, 71, and 75, those verses. David simply expressed gratitude, though God had allowed things to become very hard on him. He said, thank you. It kept me from going all the way down. So, think about this. When we're trying to help someone, what should we be like when we're trying to help them? I think every speaker who comes down here to teach here, Calvary Rescue Mission, or wherever, I think these qualities should be seen in them to qualify them from coming down here to speak. We should help people who are children of God, but now they're wayward. We should help them in a spirit of gentleness. That doesn't mean let them run over us but in a spirit of gentleness. They are already hurting. Their emotions are fragile. They're probably angry, and that's why they're so broken. And remembering, not only should I do this in a spirit of gentleness, but I need to remember, I too could be tempted and go down in a moment. So not thinking ourselves better than anybody else, because within a split second, we could be doing the same thing. Another thing is not only in a spirit of gentleness, but bearing the burden, interceding for them before God. Feel what they feel and see what they see. Vicariously suffering with them. You rely on the Holy Spirit for your strength, that you need to carry them until they're well. You have to be like a father, carrying them alone as they come to the end of themselves. So, you have love one for another, and you keep loving them by the power of the Holy Spirit. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So, you think about these things. When you find yourself with someone, they are children of God, but they are on the wrong path. We, as children of God, have a responsibility to restore them in gentleness and in love and with the Word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 6.4 again says, Let each examine his own work. That means we're not to compare ourselves with others. We need to simply just examine our own work. 
We are to look at ourselves and make a judgment and not in regards to another person. So, we have to be willing to bear one another's burdens by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the transforming of the Word of God. Not be judgmental and always remember it. Just in a little while, that could be me. How would I want people to help me? Amen? You've been listening to Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. If you would like Chris to speak at your church or event, please go to our website, abidingabove.org. God bless you and make you a blessing.